0: Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I hear we got some FCA students in the house. All right. Nice. I don't know how you found us, but we are so glad you're here. That's awesome. Very cool. Hey, well, welcome everyone. My name is David Harrington. I'm the location pastor here. And, and uh, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. And, um, and uh, so I get the privilege of continuing us here in our, in our sermon series. Um, okay. Clause, before I start, I may cough. I'm not contagious. I, the doctor put me on antibiotics and steroids. The cough didn't leave, but I'm super strong. So super strong. Just watch out. <laughs> Looks are deceiving, okay? <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine you board a plane, and um, you know, maybe, maybe you've flown, maybe, maybe you've never flown. If you've never flown, you get on a plane, flight attendant gets up and they start walking you through all the Emergency procedures, things that could go wrong that you need to be ready for. No one listens. Everyone just is like, it ignores it. But let's just pretend you board a plane and the flight attendant gets up. They get on the intercom. Uh, Folks, thank you for joining us. We'll be flying at 30,000 feet. During this flight, we will experience violent turbulence. (laughs) Cabin will rock. Baggage will fall from overhead. You may get hurt. Now at that moment, everyone's paying attention. Probably some people are getting up and leaving. If that's like, we don't know what's going on with this guy, but I don't want to be on a plane with him. That's, that's for sure. But let's, what if he continued and said, "Now we will land in a body of water. You will have to use your flotation devices and we will just see what happens. No one's on the plane after that. Everyone's getting off, the cabin's empty, right? No one's taking that flight. No thank you, I'll take the next one. When I read this passage in Matthew, when I hear what Jesus says, I feel like Jesus is that flight attendant. I'll just give you a little background to our text. What's happened, we're starting in verse 16, but what happened in verse chapter one in, this, uh, in Matthew 10 is that he gathers his 12 disciples together. And he says, guess what? I'm sending you on a trip. They're like, great. And he's like, and... He says, I'm giving you authority over every sickness. Wow. Over every evil spirit. Man, that is amazing. We're going with some power in our corner. Hashtag Aladdin. Right? Like that is what's happening. He's like, they're going to go and they're going to. I got four daughters. Okay. All right. The Disney comments will come out. They're going to go. Listen, he's saying, you're going to heal the sick. See that person who's been lame from birth? You're gonna tell them to get up and walk and they're gonna walk. You're gonna tell the blind to see, they're gonna see. You're gonna tell the deaf to hear. This is incredible. He's giving them authority to cast out demons. He says, you're going out. But then he says, here's what you can expect on this trip. And just like this deranged flight attendant, he starts telling them, what they need to know before they go. And here's what he says, verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so you can expect danger. They'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues so you can expect civic and religious persecution and bodily harm. Brother will deliver brother over to death, the father, his child, children, their parents. You can expect to be killed. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Expect to be hated. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Expect homelessness. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Expect to be treated worse than Jesus. Oh, by the way, who was beaten, falsely accused, crowned with thorns and nailed to a tree. If I was gonna label this section of scripture, I think I would just label it, it's all bad. (laughs) It's all bad. Who's taking this trip? Who's getting on this flight? Who's excited? Who's ready for some nice, relaxing time with Jesus? No, thank you, Jesus. No, thank you. I'll take the next flight. I'm not looking for things to be more difficult. In fact, I'm looking for the opposite. Shocking, I know. I would like things to be a little bit easier. I just wanna pass my class. I just wanna get a good job. I just wanna get my kids down for bed. I wanna put some money away. I wanna eat out from time to time. I'll show up for church and high five people in group and hopefully not embarrass myself along the way. That's really all I'm looking to get out of this. See, one thing that I've learned about following Jesus is that he exposes our conditions and we all have conditions. I have conditions, you have conditions. A lot of times we don't know it till we're faced with it. I'll follow you if. I'll follow you if you don't ask me to talk to a stranger. I'll follow you if you don't ask me to give away too many of my resources. Some is okay, but not too many. If you don't let too many bad things happen to me. If you don't make me too uncomfortable, then I can do the Sunday thing. Then I can do the church thing. See, the problem is we got passages like this in the Bible and this isn't like a one off, right? This is, this is something that kind of gets, it's not, these, these aren't the verses on our refrigerator that we go by and read like, yes, yeah, yeah. But see at the heart of Jesus' ministry, his invitation to you and I is for us to come and die. That's the invitation. Is he good? Yes, does he have good things for you? Yes, does he love you? Yes, we're gonna get into all that. But his invitation to his disciples, his invitations to you and I, is to pick up our cross and to follow him. We can get very uncomfortable very quickly following Jesus. If we follow Jesus, we are going to have moments where we step out into the unknown. Speak up where everyone else is quiet. Stand up when everyone else sits down. Reach out when everyone else draws back. It's uncomfortable. And Jesus understands that it's uncomfortable. He, he's, he's looking into his disciples' eyes. I can just imagine he's watching them and he's seeing that their heartbeat starting to beat a little bit faster. The perspiration starting to bead on their forehead. We're gonna do what? What about my family? What about my parents? What about my spouse? What about my friends? I mean, let alone just being uncomfortable, like anxiety, worrying, all stemming from this thing called fear. And it's, we feel it, we feel afraid. Honestly, we're afraid to step out into the unknown. We're afraid to do what's uncomfortable. We can, we're afraid to stand out. And he knows this, and Jesus speaks to our fear. And that's really what I wanna focus on Today, Jesus understands our fear, knows our fear, speaks to our fear. He doesn't ignore it. He isn't oblivious to it. He sees it written on their faces. He sees it written on our faces when he asks us to do something. But the disciples had been called to be disruptors of darkness. That's why they were set apart. And here's the thing that I am confident in. I am confident that God has called you and he has called me on purpose to be a disruptor of darkness in our circle of friends, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our job, in our classroom. He's called you to be that. And he wants to steady us when we feel afraid to step into that. And I wanna speak to what fear does. And I think there's some observations in this text that Jesus speaks directly to because at at the very heart of it, fear distorts. Fear distorts. It makes things that are not dangerous seem very dangerous. I could prove it to you. If a spider ran up my leg right now, you would see my reality get very distorted. (laughs) I know that I am bigger, that I am stronger, that I could end a spider's life with this. But ask my wife, ask me to kill, watch one scurry across the floor. Like, I'm afraid. It's an irrational thing, but, it's, but that's what fear does. It distorts our reality. And they're icky. <laughs> fear messes us up. First distortion I want to point out is this in distortion that Jesus speaks to is that injustice will overshadow truth. There's some firstborns in our Group here today, you probably resonate with this. Firstborns tend to have a strong sense of justice. If you have a strong sense of justice, this may, this first distortion may speak to you. There is a fear, we can have a fear that injustice will overshadow truth, that corruption will overshadow honesty, that deceit will overshadow integrity. It's a fear that stems from the lie that there will always be brokenness and evil and justice. There will always be an insurmountable amount of darkness. And it can feel like everyone's getting away with it. And let me tell you, a strong sense of justice is good. It's from God. God is a God of justice. This is what he has to say about that though. He says, verse 26 so have no fear of them, have no fear of those who are going to harm you, those who are going to beat you, abuse you, run you out of town. I'm not calling you in there to rain down the wrath of God on them. I'm calling you in as innocent, harmless doves. Yes, I want you to be crafty and wise like a, ser- like a serpent. You gotta use some discernment. You need to move- learn a few moves and know how to get out of town. But I'm not calling, James and John, I'm not calling you in there to rain down the fire of God. That's not what's happening. You're going to see injustice. You're going to experience injustice, and you're going to feel something rise up. And you're like, when is this going to be made right? What does he say? He says, listen, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, here's what, here's your mission. What I tell you in the dark in your prayer time, in the quiet time of your room with the, my, the Bible open before you. What I, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. He says to his disciples and to us, proclaim boldly, proclaim loudly. And when you are mistreated, when you are troubled and those around you rise up against you, understand this, that in the end, everything will be made right. Vengeance, belongs to God. There will be a judgment, there will be an account. In the end, nothing will be covered up. No one will get away with it, no one escapes, no lewd act, no slanderous language, no discrimination, no false accusation, no hidden conspiracy, no religious scandal will go uncovered and unjudged. Nothing, nothing will go uncovered. Nothing will be hidden, but vengeance belongs to the Lord. He sends us in as sheep and as doves carrying the message of truth and we trust him with the results. We trust him with the power. We trust him with the justice. We trust him to make everything that is wrong right, which is what he promises to do. We trust him and believe him when he says he's working all things to good for those who love him. We trust him. We don't see it sometimes in the way that we expect or want or in the time, but we trust the God who is over all things. So first distortion, injustice overshadows truth. God wants to dispel that. Second distortion, evil is greater than God. Evil is greater than God. In verse 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I really like this. Because I think really what Jesus is doing here is he's offering us a little perspective. He's giving us a little perspective. At least this is this is my observation because what I know about God is he's not a God that is wanting his children to be terrified of him and out of that fear, like a fear of like, he's gonna do something, he's gonna get me, I gotta follow him. And we're gonna get to that in the next verse. But in this verse, I think he just wants to give us, a, he wants to reorient us, reorient us because fear distorts, God brings in, here's the reality. Here's the situation. He's saying, look, look, in this corner, all right? If we have a boxing ring up here, in this corner, Stands everybody who wants to do you harm. It represents evil. All right, standing ten foot tall, seven foot reach, terrible person, loves to harass you, loves for you to have a bad day. And his, this, this, this opponent, this opponent, their favorite day is the day you die. That's that's their best day, is your worst day. That's in one corner of this ring. Okay? There's someone that can kill the body. In this corner, we have Jesus of Nazareth. We don't know how tall he is. We don't know how far his reach is. And frankly, it doesn't matter. Because see, when Jesus speaks, when he speaks, when he says a word, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, fruitless trees shrivel up. He walks on water. He tells storms to knock it off, and nature obeys him. He speaks. And whatever comes out of his mouth, that's what happens. Oh, and guess what? If this opponent kills you, he can raise you to life. That's not a problem for him. And we have these two opponents. And oftentimes, we stand in the middle of the ring and we're fixated on this opponent as if death is the worst thing that could happen to us. Death is not the worst thing that could happen to us. We don't live, it's just hard to live this way, but it's truth. The worst thing, the worst thing is to be forever separated from God in his family in paradise. That's the worst thing. Jesus is saying, look, there's an eternity. Church, if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Jesus, we are to have an eternal perspective. We are to understand that if this fight goes 10 rounds, it's only because Jesus allows it to go 10 rounds. But there is a promise in scripture. We have assurance because of who Jesus is and what he did and because he died and because he rose from the grave. We have all this assurance. When he says, one day I'm coming back and one day, I'm gonna snap my fingers and all this is gonna be wiped away. All this suffering and all this pain and all this hardship and all this trouble you're feeling, I'm gonna just say a word and it's gonna be gone. Who are your eyes fixated on? What's the worst thing that could happen? Jesus is offering us a little perspective. There's one in the ring we wanna be standing with. There's one in the ring we wanna be identifying with. God is greater. In the end, God wins. There's a moment in time when he will bring it, the fight to an end, ultimately, and we trust him between now and then. Third distortion is God doesn't care. This is a big one. We've all felt this. I felt this. Recently, I felt this. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't see me. What good is an all-powerful God who doesn't care about us? Who doesn't love us? And here's what happens. Your loved one gets sick, your friend dies, you lose your job, someone slanders you, steals from you, harasses you, friends abandon you, you get diagnosed in some chronic illness, you go through something hard. And we think, what's this, God, what's this? Why am I having having this trouble? I thought you loved me. Jesus speaks to this in verse, starting in verse 29, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. FYI, there's approximately 50 billion birds in the world Fun fact, not a single one falls to the ground and he doesn't know it, not a single bird. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm telling you, you will have trouble. If you follow me, I had trouble. You're gonna have trouble because my kingdom that I'm bringing into this world is in opposition to the kingdom of this world. You're going to have trouble. But remember, remember this, I love you. I love you and I'm with you. In fact, in the previous verses, he says, even when you're arrested and brought before rulers, I'm gonna give you the words to say in the moment that you need to say them. I'm with you. I love you. And not just generally, not like I just generally love those Christians over there in St. Louis. I generally, yes, I love that group. No, he knows you. He knows your name. You could pick a day out of your life, day one, day 10, day 10,000. And he could tell you exactly how many hairs you had on your head on that day. He knows every detail. He knows what troubles you. He knows what causes you anxiety. He knows what hopes and dreams you have. He knows what gives you delight. He knows you. He knows what causes you to be afraid. And he wants you to know that he loves you. He radically and recklessly and ruthlessly loves you so much, so much that he was willing to come. Enter our brokenness and enter our mess. Love does not equal a life with no pain. Love does not equal a life with no pain. But what love does is that it drives out fear. Love, love is what led Jesus to the cross. Not not abandonment or oversight or misplacement from God the Father. Love, love for you led Jesus to the cross. Love is what led his disciples to joyfully be shackled and martyred in his name. See, when you love someone, you don't just have something to live for, you have something you would die for. When you love someone, you would quickly trade places with them if they were suffering. I mean, how many parents would not trade places if their child was sick or dying? How many children would not trade places with their parents if they were sick or dying? How many friends would you not, would you not trade places if you knew they were in danger and you loved them, would not trade places with them? What do you mean? You would step into the midst of trouble because of love? Yes. And that's what Jesus did for you and I. He cares so much about you. He saw you and I in our helpless estate, stuck in this broken world, and he traded places with us. That's how much he loves you. That's how far he was willing to go for you to know him. And if you're here today in your life has gotten you worn down, I just want you to know that He cares so very much about you. He wants you to know that He is alive. He wants you to know that He is the Son of God over all things. He wants you to know that if you need forgiveness, He'll forgive you. He'll heal your pain. He will give you a new life in His family with the best inheritance you could ever imagine. Jesus was sending His disciples out and He's sending you and I out. Not generally, specifically, not for the person sitting next to you in the chair, though he is, but I always want you to hear this. He's speaking to you. He is sending you out, not alone, not as orphans, but with his Holy Spirit and with one another to be disruptors of darkness and we gotta have both of that. We have to understand that God is with us, that Jesus, when he ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, to reside with us, to speak truth to us, to empower us. If you have faith in Jesus, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that's the Spirit that is at work in your life. We're not alone, God's with us. And not just that, but he's put us together. And we need one another. I know we don't always feel like we need one another, but we need one another. Jesus didn't send his disciples out one by one. What does it say over and over, two by two? He sent them out in groups. Why? Because they needed one another. Did they always get along? No. Did they always like it? No. But did they always need each other? Yes. Yes. And we need one another. I'm gonna say that over and over again. We need one another. We got things coming up on our calendar. Joel was talking about it, but we got man camp coming up. Let me tell you something. We don't do man camp. We don't do this men's retreat so we can get away for a weekend. It's not what it's for. It's not for you to have fun, ultimately. It's not for you to have the best barbecue in your life. It's not. Now, before I sound brash... I hope you have fun, like I hope you have a good time and I hope you enjoy it. But that's really not what it's for. We have moments like this in our calendar because it is critical, it is necessary, it is is absolutely important that we gather together, whether it's Man Camp or Celebration Midwest or Deeply Rooted, whatever it is, to gather together be fathers and brothers and sons in the house of God, encouraging one another, praying for one another, reminding one another that we are not alone, that there are guys around us that have walked through what we've walked through. We have men of faith who are encouraging us to keep running. We need this. We need community. We need friends. We need fathers. And let me just take a moment to speak to our youth for a moment. Youth, look, my heart goes out to you. It does, it does, my heart goes out to you because you're growing up in an environment that is way more hostile to Christianity than I ever experienced. Where I grew up in my public high school, it was popular to be a Christian. It was easy to be a Christian. We had prayer on the flagpole, tons of kids came out. Like no one cared about being identified with Jesus or their church. That, that environment is changing. That tide is turning. And youth, you need each other. You need to encourage one another. You need your youth leaders. You need parents. You need adults in your life who are encouraging you, telling you that it's gonna be okay and that we love you and that we're proud of you and that we're cheering for you because we are, and I want you to to understand that you have a church family here that really is really, really cheering you on and really, really believing for you, and we need you. We need you. You're an important part of this family. Over 50s, let me talk to the over 50 group. You don't have to raise your hand. I see that hand back there. Way to be proud of being over fifty. I'm closer to 50 than 20, so I'll be joining you. Um, Man, over 50, this church has never needed you more. We are middle age heavy. There's like a million kids over in that hallway. We can barely keep our head above water. We need you so bad. We need spiritual mothers and fathers who have walked through these seasons, who are holding on to God. This is not your time to relax and sit back and see what the young people do. It's not. We need you. We need you leaning in. We need you, we need you knocking us upside the head from time to time. We need your encouragement. These youth need you, I need you. This church needs you. I don't know if he's in the room, but Marvin Bowler, there he is right there. Apparently Marvin has some fans. Man, I'll try to say this without crying. It's not uncommon for Marvin to be quick on my heels outside the doors and to give me a hug and to tell me well done. Now we're not in community group together. We're not seeing each other a bunch between Sunday and Sunday, but he makes it a point often to encourage me. And I'll tell you what, I don't know I need that hug often until I'm in his arms and I'm like, man, I really needed that hug today. We need you, spiritual mothers and fathers. We need you to chase us down. We need you to wrap us up. We need you to tell us it's gonna be okay. We need you to tell us that it's worth fighting for and it's worth enduring. We need you. This is not the time for y'all to sit in the corners of the church. We need you to lean in. Let me speak to the middle-aged group for just a moment where I fall and just give us a, a slight encouragement. I just want you to understand some of us are moving into the season and if you're in the upper middle age group where you're playing more the role of spiritual mother and father, but many of us are older brothers and older daughters in the house. And you know what I've learned with four daughters? Oftentimes, the three younger ones are watching the oldest one, whether she likes it or not. They're watching, how's she gonna respond? What's she gonna do? That's a tough spot to be in, to be honest. But here's the thing is we wanna set a good example We wanna set a good example. We are the older brothers and sisters and our younger siblings are looking to us and we wanna set an example of trusting God, following him, casting our burdens on him. Life gets hard, troubles coming. Jesus said it would, let's not be surprised. But listen, there are so many things to get distracted with I don't know if it's just because this season I'm living in, but I, I may feel this one. I'm in the next season, but right now it just feels like there's just so many distractions, so many things to keep up with, to get caught up with, so many things that can pull our attention, our affection. We can so, I can so often get in a place where I just want to escape and get away and find a little piece of comfort. And I just feel like God wants to beckon us, just challenge us to no, 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 no. Come on, we set the pace. So often we're on the front lines, linking arms, standing firm, and we want to run hard after the things that God's put before us. We want to run hard enough to make these younger ones wonder if they can keep up, but not so hard that we lose sight of them because they're the reason we're running. It's to see the next generation grow up knowing God and loving him. Amen. That's what we have. Now, listen, we, this is not about white knuckling it. This isn't about leaning on our own strength and digging deep. No, 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 no. Our freedom comes from knowing that God is over all. It's our resting place. It's not building a life around our comfort. It's not building our life around that promotion. It's not, it's not even building our life around our kids. They need, our kids need to see us building a life that is centered on God. So why'd, we, why'd you make that decision? That's what we felt like God was leading us to do. It means we can't do this, this, and this. Yes, but this is where God's leading us to do. We build a life around him, what he's done, what he's accomplished. Here is your mission, Jubilee Church, should you choose to accept it. Here's, I wanna ask you to do two, two things. The first thing is tomorrow morning when you wake up, I wanna ask you to say this prayer. God, I'm here, what are we gonna do today? We pray early in the morning. Been praying Wednesday mornings, FYI, we're gonna start praying Tuesday mornings, up here, 6.30 in the morning, out there in the lobby. Anyone can join, myself and the other elders and many other leaders who come up and pray. It's a special time, but Nathan Halston, one of our members here, often joins and prays with us. And I don't even know, again, don't know if he's in the room, but Nathan prayed this week. He was just praying that that would be our question, like that's what we would pray that before God. Like he was kind of challenging, And I just felt, he was just praying, I just felt that's prophetic. That's for us. Man, just to wake up. What, what, what would it look like for a church, a whole church of people to wake up and just make themselves available to God like that? God, I'm here. What are we doing today? That question alone probably caused a little bit of anxiety for you. Because you know why? You're thinking, I don't know what he's gonna ask me to do. And you know what? I don't either. I don't know. He could ask you to send an encouraging text to a friend you don't know is struggling. He could ask you to sell your house. It's all on the table when we present ourselves before God. But is it his life or is it our life? Is he joining us or are we following him? That's a hard, I'm, t- I'm telling you, that's a hard question for me. I'm like, maybe I can do two out of five days. Like, I don't know if I can do all five. <laughs> it's provoking, it's provoking, but it's so just, I mean, the stories, the stories that will come out from us, presenting ourselves, making ourselves available before God. And you know what? Maybe your story would be like, hey, I felt like God wanted me to share, share the gospel with my coworker and I didn't die. You know what we'd say? Well done. Well done. Way to go with sharing the gospel and you didn't die. Way to go for it. Keep going. That's how we feel, right? I'm going to die. This is going to kill me. But listen, the fruit is in God's hands. That's his, that's his job. We don't change hearts. We obey and follow him. Sometimes the disciples rocked up and man, there was like revival breaking out. Sometimes they went out and they were chased to the next town. We don't know what's gonna happen. But we know who we're following and we know what he's done and we know what he's going to do. And he's good and he's loving and he's with us. Will you stand and pray with me? My last encouragement is going to be to extended invitation to someone to join us on Easter weekend. There's and the 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 kingdom of this world is against the kingdom of God, but our culture also just gives us these gimmies in the calendar. These gimmies. Easter Sunday is a Sunday where. There will will be people who will say yes to an invitation that won't say yes any other Sunday of the year. We wanna be people who understand that we have been called to be disruptors of darkness. And that could be sharing an encouraging text, sharing the gospel, giving someone a hug, extending an invitation to someone. Say, come, come here. Come just, come see what God's doing over here. Come join me. And we pray every year, and people come on Easter, and listen, people come in with all their different reasons and all their different motivations and all their trouble and all their reasons, maybe their heart is hardened against God or not. And there is no one that is too far off that God can't meet. There's no one. God can do anything. Let's believe him for anything. Let's live like he can do anything. Jesus, we just pray right now. We ask you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we just say we, we need you first. We, we can't do anything apart from you. This isn't about us. This isn't about the name Jubilee. This isn't about what we've done. This is about you. Jesus, this is about you who has gone before us, who's all around us, who goes ahead of us, God, who, who has already secured the victory. Jesus, this is us following in your footsteps, and though there may be trouble, Lord, in the midst of trouble we may be secure in your presence. Yes, yes, your rod and staff comfort me. Yes, you're setting a table before me, but you know what? His rod and staff comfort me in the valley of the shadow of death. He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yes, His goodness and mercy will follow us. And here's, a, here's the real radical change that God wants, I believe God wants to do in, in us, is that in the midst of trouble, in the midst of fear, in the face of opposition, to live joyfully and free lives because we're not tied to the things that are passing away on this world. Jesus, give us an eternal perspective. Let us take hold and understand and live with the reality that you have called each one of us by name, given us a mission field and set us apart to be disruptors of darkness. In your name, amen.